Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. We're continuing our Mendo Summer Farm Tour this week. And I'm thrilled to share with you the story of two people who found each other along their paths towards simpler, more meaningful lives. Daniel and Blair Eau Claire operate Radical Herbs and Folklife Farm, an award-winning, small-scale, regenerative cannabis and food farm in Covalo, California. Their farm is featured alongside Green Source Gardens and Bryceland Forest Farms in a new documentary by La Osa and BioVortex. Tending the garden journeys through a year in the life of three family farms cultivating cannabis, food, and community in the pursuit of a regenerative future. I've had a sneak peek, and I'm telling you, it is a beautiful film. The creators, Claire and Jesse, have been hard at work in the editing room, finishing the film, and sending it off for the final sound mix. They've had a few private screenings with more coming up this summer and fall leading up to the official premiere. If you want to jump on board as an early supporter, you will be the first to know when and where you can see it. Your donation will go towards creating original music, the sound mix, submissions to festivals, marketing, and outreach. 
Visit TendingTheGardenFilm.com to show your support and get the t-shirt. For you big spenders out there, know that your donation is tax deductible and includes a private farm tour that will blow your mind. And don't worry, if you're driving or multitasking, I'll be sure to include in the show notes how you can help support Tending the Garden and its release into the world. I had the pleasure of walking and talking with both Blair and Daniel in early summer as they tended their garden on a market day. I'll share videos of that soon on the WeedTube and the Casually Baked YouTube channel. But right now, you're about to hear my kitchen table convo with Daniel. I just hit record and we started talking about their homesteading family farm, practicing biodynamics, and what led him here. We talk about the importance of growing your own food. Daniel talks chop and drop crops, and we get farming tips that even the backyard gardener will appreciate. We take a peek at the business of farming food versus farming cannabis, the importance of community-supported agriculture, and the drawbacks of a centralized cannabis system and the corporatization of our lives. Like any good kitchen table chat, we talk all over the place. So pull up a chair and smoke them if you got them. It's time to get casually baked. It's a hot time. We had a hot time together. Together. Let's start with how y'all got into all this. Cool. Well, Blair had her mission, her path that she was on, and our paths crossed. But mine came from being just kind of a wanderer. I'm from the East Coast and came west and then came back east because I had made it out to the islands, out to Hawaii. But I was looking for um, a way to just exist where I didn't, as much as I could see, wasn't connected to like any kind of grid or like entity that was tied in with other people's suffering kind of thing. I had, a, a, crazily enough, I ended up working on the oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. I don't, like, that's because I used to scuba dive. I never intended to want to work in the oil field, but there I was, you know? I'm like, ah, I got to get out of this. And how old were you then? Right out of high school, okay. eight, 18, 19. And then I went down kind of a more artistic path and worked at a glass blowing factory. But again, that was like tied right into the natural gas company. I'm like, this is really cool, but man, I'm still connected to the beasts, you know? So I'm like, I got to get out of here. And um, that's when agriculture came into the play because. Well, I don't have to go to the store as often, you know? I don't need anything there. We can, you know, obviously there's some things, but like you're focusing on reducing the amount that you need to do yeah. that. And you're not hurting anybody. You know, like you might cut up an earthworm here or there, but for the most part you're focused on making conditions better than when where you started. So agriculture really felt good. And I had some amazing mentors off the bat. Like they're all it was I never made it on any conventional, it was always organic, always diversified. They were mostly always growing weed too. And you got into ag in California? In Hawaii. Oh, Hawaii. Yeah. I did work on a farm, so to speak, back in New England, but that was I w totally different headspace. Yeah. So you growing up on the East Coast, what was your life like? Where, you know, these ideas that you had, was this something that was instilled in you by your family or is this like radically different than how you were raised? 
I wouldn't say radically different, but um, yeah, back there, everything is really fast paced. It's very difficult to get away from people. Um, I grew up with my father's family and they own a grocery store that's like the been around since 1918, Eau Claire's Market. And so like food was always there. And there is a rich history of agriculture in New England, but it's, you really have to search for it now. It's not like it used to be, but like people would see the old stone walls that the farmers would clear from the land to make the fences and stuff. So you could, it's not that far away that that kind of stuff was happening, more small scale, individualistic type of stuff. Um, So when I discovered agriculture, it kind of felt like a full circle type of thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, the grocery store, Auckland's Market used to be getting the meat from people not that far away back in the day when it started. Mm -hmm. So you definitely felt like a coming home type of thing, at least for me. Um, But diversity was always key. Like we never wanted to just be growing one thing. And so growing food for ourselves and then seeing how that quickly, this whole mentality of like while supplies last, it's totally a swindle. Like that's not the way the world works. It isn't an extractive model. Yeah. But if we had more people thinking about producing things, producing their own needs, very quickly we would see that there is an abundance and that can then spill over to those who have less. Yeah, and especially right now where, you know, you keep seeing in the news that all of these like, you know, chicken factories and mm-hmm. and baby food and all these things are yeah. mysteriously catching on fire and you know right. being destroyed and um and so everyone is now we have been trained by our media that we should all be afraid that we're all going to run out of food pretty soon mm-hmm. and if you live in a food desert that very well could be the case for you very quickly and how utah phillips always talks about the long memory being the most like dangerous, like if we had a longer memory, we would remember that during a wartime, plant vic- gardens for victory. Like, do your part to supply food for the nation, grow food, victory gardens. Mm-hmm. Like, how quickly we forget about that. Why did that stop? Like, yeah. that is, you'll have more zucchini than you could dream of here very shortly and be feeding your neighbors. And so that's where we're coming from. Like, that's how we got into this. We wanted to just have a simpler life on the land. And in agriculture, you can do that. You can grow a garden and not have to have permits and maps of where your greenhouse and your locked compost yeah, pile where is your or waste whatever. Is going. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. Like the way we are treated as an agricultural product, but not an agricultural activity in cannabis is completely absurd. And it seems like no, there's no greater example of people not coming from an agricultural growing environment. It's, it's, it's made by regulators whose job it is to. Yes. And you have wonderful insight into that because your family's business is about half Mm -hmm. regular agriculture and half cannabis. Right. And Blair was telling me out in the garden when we were gathering broccoli for the market this morning that she barely has any paperwork or anything she needs to do for the for sure. the garden, mm-hmm. but that for the cannabis farm, she can't dig herself out of the paperwork. Exactly. Yeah. It's horrible. It pains me to see how much she is doing that's taking away from time in the garden. And especially, too... That she's working so hard and producing all the things that's asked of her, and then we're met with silence from the county and told that, like, 
well, the program would be further along if it wasn't for these lazy cannabis farmers that are returning half-done maps. And they're talking really bad about us. And I'm looking at what we're doing and I'm thinking, you know, this is insulting, to be honest with you. And so we're at a point right now, we really enjoy what we do, but it is a struggle to remember that or keep that in the forefront of our mind because it's so wrapped up with red tape. Yeah, they make a bow out of the red tape. Yeah, (laughs) I would say so. Because the the one part is enjoyable and very easy, but then when you have to sell yourself or your product or feel like you have to work really hard to be taken legitimately, it's like that's hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when we're in a space in California where there are way too few dispensaries, there's too little access to patients Mm -hmm. to legally get cannabis that all of these farmers like y'all that I have watched work your asses off. Sometimes you can't even get rid of your product, you Mm -hmm. know, for some farmers or that they're basically raping you on the price. Mm -hmm. This model, it can't continue and still keep ethical farmers that are caring about the land and trying to be stewards for their communities for them to keep going. Right, right. And so, I mean, I guess that's a, that seems like a segue to the film in a sense, because last year when Jesse and Claire were coming out and filming, that was like such a, a breath of fresh air. It was always so nice to see them. And we are 100% invested in, in the vision that they see and, and like how touched and honored we were to be a part of it. Because it was a difficult year yeah. with all these different things. But to know that we're in it because it's the right thing to do. We're healing, like whether we're growing cannabis, we're growing food, we're working in a way that's trying to leave the land better than we found it. We're trying to bring more diversity into this space. You know, the field that we're cultivating in was a hay field before it was being cultivated. And it would be cut from the perimeter all the way in, and then it would be grazed for the rest of the year. Now, we still raise sheep, we raise animals, grazing is a beautiful thing, we still do that. But I could keep doing what was being done, and let's say like the Milo Baker lupin was growing there, you'd never know, because I cut it for hay, and now I'm grazing it down. Yet when we start to cultivate it, we're under scrutiny that like, well, maybe there's something there, we can't do what we're doing. But if we had done the old model, no one would know, and we'd still be So it's an interesting place to be, but in that space now that we're cultivating it, we're trying to bring in as much diversity as we can, establish more hedgerows, windbreaks, bring in different pollinators, because it's beneficial to what we're doing, and we enjoy the the life that it brings. And so we're talking about the documentary, Tending the Garden, Mm -hmm. um, the documentary's complete, but now we're looking for funding for it. Mm-hmm. Um, There's editing that's taking place and music score and all the the after touches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are one of three farms mm-hmm. that are highlighted in this documentary. You do such a beautiful job. Talk us through what all you are doing on the farm because, you know, diversity is key, of course, like you said, but also it helps to diversify your income and make this more of a a livable lifestyle. So tell us what y'all are doing here. Sure. So yeah, we are featured alongside two other amazing farms that we look up to, Bryceland Forest Farm and Greensource, Bryceland in Southern Humboldt and Greensource in Southern Oregon. 
And so Jesse and Claire followed three farms around for a season. So showing kind of like what the life of regenerative farming can look like. And it's, it looks different on all three farms, which is beautiful. And so from our perspective, what we are trying to do here is have a market garden and a cannabis garden. And so we do row crops. We do permanent raised beds for the vegetables and the cannabis. And to make it work for us, we try to focus on creating the fertility that we need on farm as much as possible. And we do that by, um, we have multiple different compost streams. We have the, the worm bins that mostly receive all the kitchen scraps. Um, all the green material for that worm bins come from the kitchen. The brown materials come from wood chips and the hay that we cut. We have larger compost piles that are more focused from the animal bedding and manures. And these are going to be the sources of our potting soil and the compost that feeds the biology of the soil that we're planting into. What animals do you have on the farm? We have a small herd of cows, a small flock of sheep, and we raise chickens as well. Yeah, your son was showing me the chickens. Was he? Yes. Oh, cool. I, and I love the little home that they have, that little ecosystem back there. It's all cozy and nice. Yeah. <laughs> the grapevines growing on the top. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a, they, we let them out. They're free roaming. Mm-hmm. They, for the moment, we put them back in because they were getting to get in the garden a little too much. We got to pull them back a little bit. So, right, we were talking about... The agriculture on the farm and then mm-hmm. how that goes back into your system. Yeah, so all these different streams we're trying to put back into our close-the-loops. Um, we do off-source some compost when we need to. Like last year was a very difficult hay season. There was almost no hay with the drought, so we had to bring some other things in. But the idea is that we're trying to always have living roots in the beds so that photosynthesis is happening Soil biology is being fed, always keeping the soil covered. And the diversity that we're talking about for windbreaks and hedgerows is going to be there for so that the insects that we want to keep around have a steady source of food. All these different crops flower at different times, and so there's always something there. Adding uh, birdhouses is a great owl boxes. We just want um, as much cooperation with our allies as we can. So, and we're always learning about that. Um, for every year, the garden is different, and sometimes we're like, oh, that needs to be over here, and we, that was not the right spot. Um, other times, things land first time, and it feels really good. But um, bringing in the, the more native plants has been a key thing for us. Drought-tolerant native plants are amazing this is their spot. They know mm-hmm. just what they need and we learn from them. So um, I really believe that the plants are our teachers and, um, and it just feels good to be students. the And we're eager students. It feels good to be the students of the plants. Yeah. So how many years have you been growing on this particular farm? This is our fifth season. Okay. And every year it's different. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about your space and place. How big is your farm? What's your appellation? And then from there, we can talk about how you choose um, the seeds that work best here. Mm -hmm. So we're in northeast Mendocino County in Round Valley. I think we're about 1,400 feet. 
And so the appellation that we're in is the Covalo Dos Rios, I, I believe. I, I don't have well, the, I don't have the map, but Council, it's Origins well, Council. Well, yeah. yeah, they're all they're working through all of these. Yeah, and so we're on a sixty-acre farm on the valley floor, flatland. We have fifteen acres of woods, and then multiple hay fields. Um, and we're cultivating. I really don't know, but it's about two acres, I think, at this point. We've added some blocks around the oak tree, and so we're filling out the border of the hay field. Got it. And then as far as the veggies that you grow, mm-hmm. I mean, it looked like there was a lot of stuff. If you can't remember everything, that's fine. But kind of what is, sure. what's the main yeah, stuff what are you we, grow? Well, we are, we can't help but sow seeds. Um, so we are early, early on, we're trying to get the early leafy greens, the radishes, the turnips in the ground. Um, we are working more and more each year with high tunnels for season extension, getting the zucchini and tomatoes in the ground earlier so that we can get them to market earlier. Eggplants, peppers, cherry tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes. And then we want to make sure that we have a good, sturdy crop of garlic, onions, full-block winter squash, um, well-rounded from your leafy greens to your different summer fruits, um, and all the while establishing fruit production. So we have two full 100-foot rows of strawberries, one of raspberries. We'll have asparagus here in a year or two, you got to wait a few years before harvesting from them to make sure the roots are strong. But it seems like we may be trying to shift into winter gardening. You know, in the heat of the summer, it seems counterintuitive to be sowing, you know, brassicas and you know, these different cold weather crops when it's really hot out. But it really pays off to have them in the ground come fall because we have such mild winters here, we could really be productive. And that's when you know, the cannabis isn't happening. And so, you know, harvesting in the summertime when you're trying to harvest your light depth and then replant and so many things happening in the summertime. And in a place where we live like this, a lot of people also garden. And so they might not always be looking for those summer crops because they have plenty of them. But come the wintertime, it isn't as common for people to be having and establishing a winter garden. So we're thinking that that might be a niche for us. Yeah, and so you also do the CSA program and mm-hmm. so there's not a farmer's market in the winter right this is year round oh y'all's y'all's is year round yeah oh, that's awesome yeah for sure because we um got one of the coolest libraries i must say it has a great patio off the back and that's where the farmer's market happens in the winter time okay yeah the csa has happened for us in a way that seemed natural the farm that I apprenticed on, Live Power Community Farm, is here in Round Valley, and they are one of the first CSAs of in California. And um, an amazing learning experience working there. Steve Decatur passed away this last year, and so with him, the most production at Live Power has kind of come to an end. And so that was tragic and sad and kind of left a hole. Yeah, somebody's got to pick up the torch. So, yeah, so local... CSA members kind of asked if we were going to do that now. It's kind of like, well, sure. Let's yeah. give it a go. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that model. I always have. Like, that was one of the things that, you know, learning from Steve, he was one of the mo- like, most passionate about was changing the economic mindset. That if you eat, then you are supporting a farmer one way or another. And so why not get to know your farmer and support that endeavor um, and so CSA members will pay ahead 
and guarantee themselves a harvest every week from this date to this date. And yeah. so that really helps the farmer because in the, you know, unless you're saving all your seed, which is a worthy goal to do, um, seeds cost money. So there's a lot of upfront costs in farming, you mm-hmm. know, and before you, you know, are harvesting anything. So that can really help for that. And it's been very helpful. Yeah. And you also think about the idea of you don't have to worry about running out of groceries. If you know you're supporting a local farmer, yeah. it doesn't matter, you know, if some facility burns down 500 miles away from you. Yeah. You know that you have relationships in your community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm moving back to West Texas that, for all intents and purposes, is a food desert. Wow. And, you know, I've been talking to my sister because, you know, food scarcity is a thing right now that's Mm -hmm. in the news. And if I'm having to drive 70 miles to a grocery store, then I've got a bit of a problem on my hands. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been talking about wanting to hydroponically grow my greens. That way it's in the house. I know I always have fresh greens and sprouts and Mm -hmm. things like that. And I feel like it's an important responsibility of everyone. If you eat food, Mm -hmm. you should think about growing food. Exactly. Yep. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) So Blair told me she got her degree in Mm -hmm. fashion design and Mm -hmm. then had always been interested in the the woofing program Mm -hmm. and made her way to Hawaii and and started learning about farming. Right. Did y'all meet while she was there doing that? No. Or did y'all meet here in California? We met here in Covalo, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. She went to Otis and her epiphany came from, wow, the textile industry is messed up. And so discovered agriculture and then went woofing. And she was on Maui. And so I came into it. I was never officially a woofer, although I, in a sense, was woofing, hitchhiking, and then just finding work. And so I actually had a friend from the Gulf of Mexico days who was living in Hawaii. And so I went out to work for him. I thought I was going to be scrubbing boats in the harbor underwater, but he had already changed occupations by the time I got there. Um, you were referencing a friend earlier who's in Hawaii and like you have to hack things back with a machete or else you'll be overtaken. It's very easy to grow things there. And so that's where I learned. I was on the big island in South Kona and on a lettuce farm, actually. Daniel from Bryceland Forest mm-hmm. Farm worked for Harvey Sakharov as well. Oh, wow. We, I did meet him briefly. Um, While y'all were Daniel there? Were there, yeah. But it was only in passing. I was playing soccer. And so meeting him and Again, in Northern California, was a trip. But we both worked for Harvey Sunbear Produce. He was growing lettuce for the hotels and, and local grocery stores and stuff. And he's such a good gardener. Harvey's got a real green thumb, grew some amazing white widow. I would often take my paychecks and weed. And, uh, <laughs> One does. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, great hours. You know, we started at 5.30, done by 10, have the rest of the day to do whatever. Um, and so that was that was a great experience. But then... I moved back to the mainland and was kind of looking to more seriously take a learning experience, apprenticeship on a farm. And that's when I discovered Live Power. And so came and worked for Live Power for two years in 07 and 08. And Blair, after her woofing in Hawaii, ended up working for Harold Hoven at Raphael Gardens at the Rudolf Steiner College in Fair Oaks. And so Raphael Gardens and Live Power are two farms that are part of the larger biodynamic association of northern california also known as bdank 
And so the spring meeting was usually held at Raphael Gardens, the fall meeting at Live Power, the winter at Fry Vineyard, and the summer one tended to move around. That was kind of the style when I was an apprentice. And we still didn't meet that way. Um, I finished with Live Power, left the valley for a season, came back and found a fun, cool gig on an apple orchard. And Blair did her apprenticeship with Harold, but they were doing like apprentice swaps. So like Raphael Gardens apprentices came up to Live Power, Live Power apprentices went down to Raphael Gardens. So she came to know the valley that way and then through a friend found a couple people that were looking for people to come and farm their land. So she was working for them. And then that's when we met. I was delivering lamb to those folks and met Blair. I love that. And just listening to both of your backgrounds, you are experts in what you do. Like you have been students of nature and of the process. And, you know, when people think, or at least in my opinion, the majority of folks, especially outside the California bubble, when they think about pot farmers, Mm -hmm. they don't think about someone who is as educated about the process and knowing the importance of feeding the soil and diversifying the crops and stuff. So I just love for people to know that about our cannabis farmers. Cool. The one thing I would add to that, though, is that I feel like folks don't maybe connect the dots that you have to be an expert in failing and making mistakes to be successful. Oh, yeah. Because that's where, I mean, I feel like I've learned the most. Um, When things go right, it's because you're kind of like stepping out of the way almost. But I appreciate that. When you do it, it's year after year, it's the same kind of thing, but you're always running into new elements of what can happen, what can go wrong, because there's a lot that's out of your control. And so, um, but that's an amazing thing. Like for so long, the cannabis that most of the nation has enjoyed has been from fiercely independent, decentralized, homesteading, really dedicated people that have been doing this. And it's been decentralized. It's beautiful. And they're trying to centralize it. And I feel like we're going to see quality or just it's not going to be as exciting yeah the cannabis won't be as exciting won't be as good if it's done the way the the capitalists want to see it happen this is true and there will be way less diversity in the cultivars that Mm -hmm. are available you know i have friends that are part of operations in oklahoma and you know a lot of california cannabis farmers that are like crapping out of california going to Oklahoma where they can do their craft way more affordably. Mm. But, you know, that has its own that has its, its own, own problems. problems. Oklahoma yes. is a whole other episode. But the fact that the strains that, you know, my friends have are a lot of the same stuff that you see on the shelves in the dispensary. It's like mm-hmm. what's hot right now. And mm-hmm. like, you know, everybody is trying to please that mainstream consumer. Right. And so, you know, the more interesting things, you've got to go up in the hills and meet some right. farmers to find those really interesting things right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, and a lot of that too has to do with the distribution game. Okay, sure. From what I understand, a lot of these people call up the farmers and they're like, we want your mids, your smalls. You know, they don't want that premium flour because they know that the lower price point is what's going to move on their shelves. Mm -hmm. And so there's all this beautiful flour out there Mm -hmm. that unless you know of 
farm cut or sun and earth certified or, you know, dragonfly earth medicine. Like if you don't know to look for those things, you miss out on all the good shit. Right. Speaking of that, like the wholesale market and the distribution, we, you know, we grew some dog walker this last year. Chemdog 91 and Albert Walker OG. Nobody on the wholesale side wanted gas. Like nobody was interested in that. It was, wasn't hype strain enough, you know? So that can make someone shift their whole mentality of what they're going to be planting. I took that same flower and we jarred it up. And I've been going to markets and meeting people face to face and, you know, talking to the people who are going to be smoking it. And it seems like it hasn't changed on that end. People still resonate with that and want that. So it, it's hard to know what, yeah, well, what to do. Like the market's saying, well, we don't want this one thing, but the people I talk to still do. Yeah. Well, when I moved to California in 2014, I like more of a, a heavy body high because of inflammation, aches and pains and stuff. And so... You know, the purples, the berries, that kind of stuff mm. I loved. But when I first moved to California, everything was green and gassy. <laughs> and so now, like, we're in a purple phase. Yeah, it's true. And I think a lot of that ends up being the marketing of it. You know, it's just right. like people get fed a story of what they want. Right. And so then you go into the store and you're like, okay, these are my options. I will pick from that. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, shit, I think we're in a pink phase, you know, like a white thorn rose from Huckleberry Hill Farms. Like, yeah. I love that flower. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pink boost goddess. For sure. And, oh, Hardy, what's what's their name? Well, here in Kovlo, you'd have the pink Cadillac, stinky Ooh. pink. Oh, okay, right. yeah. I don't know these. I love that. <laughs> and that's the thing, just being able to get out in the wild and talk to farmers. Yeah. And, you know, because that's, to me, when I get the biggest education on cannabis is just sitting across from somebody like you and smelling flower and looking through last year's stash to right. see what was and, and what's going to be this next harvest. So right. I'm so much like a, I want to say like your typical farmer. Like I eat the seconds, you know, the stuff that doesn't go to market. I'm the same way with what I smoke. Like yeah. I, we have a personal garden and as well, like the six plants we get to do. And I just smoke the smalls and the stuff from what we, jar up and that kind of thing. What do you grow in your personal garden? Well, this year I scored some seeds at a, a seed sesh that the Humboldt local was putting on Joy Burger and Tamara. They did a number of seed seshes and regen camps and stuff around Northern California. So I scored some seeds from there. Um, but I, most of the, the personal garden is from Rebel Seed, Rebel Grown, the 5G's purple um, radiation exposure and the anarchist cookbook. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the Rebel Cookies Cross. And so I contacted them because they do amazing work there. And he had just made some posts about the purples that he grows. And I was like, oh, I would love to try some of that. So I'm growing some of that out and saved males from it to try to influence the color of the cultivars that we have in the other garden. Yeah. So um, I guess it's an experimental personal garden this year for research and development. I like purposes, that. Yeah. So when you were talking about these seed sessions, is this something that is like um, you got to know somebody to know somebody to be invited? Or is this something where you want these farmers that are trying to up their game and, and grow better and do better that you want them there to participate? Yeah, I, um, I, I don't want to speak for him. I'm pretty sure it was like invite only, but the invitation is somewhat broad 
like it's not he's not just calling up specific people it's kind of like you know it's invite only but the poster is on the bulletin board in town yeah so if you see the bulletin board you're invited yeah because i think what an opportunity for farmers in other states and other areas to for sure just get a glimpse into the legacy of northern california cannabis Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean he it was posted on social media, and that has pretty far reaches. But yeah. I don't I don't know exactly how that decision was made. Yeah. But the turnout, at least for the one that we went to, was really good. I am producing a podcast for an organization that is focusing on cannabis genetics, and you know it's something that we as consumers we just think about the end product, our flower, mm. or you know the edible or whatever it is we're going to buy, but. As backyard gardeners and people that are wanting to grow out their own six plants, I think it's it's a fun thing to learn about the genetics of cannabis and you know choosing the right seed for your latitude and your conditions. Right. You know, because a lot of us can be like, oh, well, I love this particular strain, but it doesn't mean it's going to grow well in in my garden. For sure. Yeah, and. To that end, I feel like this region is as prolific as it is because we're in like this space where you can kind of grow anything. We do have good long seasons, um, but once you venture anywhere further north, you at least maybe like seed starting times is going to have to change. And when you get further south, where there where it's the daylight and night doesn't shift as much. I don't know how the seeds are going to play out there, mm-hmm. but we're in such a spot here that most genetics do yeah. fairly well. The one climate deal is that like closer to the coast you get and it's when it's foggy and what that might affect how the flower finishes mm-hmm. susceptible to molds and things like that. Yeah. Some of my friends in Washington state and in Canada, right? you know, it's like their growing cycle is so much shorter right. than ours that they have to, you know, grow completely different. And a greenhouse probably. Well, and the or, ones that, you know, choose to grow outdoor, you know, a lot yeah. of times it looks like it may freeze pretty soon and you're like trying to leave the girls out as long as humanly possible and then it becomes a gamble at harvest. Big time. Yeah. Well. Better than than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I am now, um, you know, since I'm going back to Texas and a totally different environment, mm-hmm. hot as hell, doesn't cool down at night. If we have to put it into the indica sativa category, you know, I know a sativa plant is what would need to grow there. And mm-hmm. that's just normally not my jam. So mm-hmm. I'm like, am I going to have to like become more of a, a heady high kind of a girl? <laughs> well, um, have you played around with light deprivation? I mean, I haven't because I've been living in right. tiny spaces around California with no room to grow. Mm. So yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, I'll, I'm about to become a student for sure. Cool, it's amazing, just how it will. Because I feel like I've heard Dragonfly talk about that. You know, they're in Vancouver and in BC, and you know, pulling tarp has, is something that has helped them because when the snow comes. It's not going away in the plant. So to get that crop finished earlier, mm-hmm. you can still do it from seed. And um, I don't know, I'm just throwing it yeah. out there as something to yeah. consider because it'll help you for- force your flower early. Yeah. And of course, um, 
I will have to be doing these things not where I am because my father would not be okay. Oh, okay, yeah. with that, oh boy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I know he listens to this show. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, of course you won't. <laughs> you will not. <laughs> well, I will just be doing homework. I will yep. not be actively doing. Um, so, you know, tell me some of the things about, well, Radical Herbs is your cannabis brand. Mm-hmm. And then what is the name of your farm that grows the veggies? Folk Life Farm. Okay, Folk Life Farm. Yes. So, you know, when we think about marketing ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, what are our competitive advantages? So, like, what are some of the things that makes Folk Life Farms and Radical Herbs unique compared to other farms? Well, these things that we, I guess that I would mention, are not done to be unique. Um, the direction that we've chosen, I guess, for our marketing is just to be honest about who we are and what we're doing. Um, and whether or not that resonates with people, you know, that's up to them. All we can do is share what we do. Transparency Trans- and authenticity. That's like, right. you know, what yeah. a novel concept. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so biodynamics has been our biggest inspiration. Like, that's, that's, kind of what sparked my real connection to agriculture. And so I guess that has been something that has been of interest to people. When we mention that we practice biodynamics as best we can, that opens up a conversation. And then just being a family farm, these are the things that we just share with people. Yeah. That we're, we're homesteading, family farm, practicing biodynamics, and that's it. Yeah. Keeping it simple, yeah. but working your asses off Mm -hmm. i mean it was i appreciate being able to walk around and be with y'all this morning as blair is getting ready for the farmer's market mm -hmm. and then also preparing these amazing salads to then also sell at the market because people want instant gratification (laughs) so taking you know the vegetables plus preparing them you know for lunches for people i mean it's so beautiful but it's such a giant amount of work mm-hmm. and you know and of course seeing Aiden around the garden being like hold me mama yeah and she's <laughs> like you know I'm not right now buddy uh, yeah I've got like <laughs> a whole basket of broccoli I'm like I'll hold you <laughs> I ended up carrying the broccoli by the way you carry the broccoli <laughs> she'll carry me <laughs> what a clever little guy yeah I mean well it's it's a seasonal life too right like the days get long so do the tasks when the winter time comes, we're ready to hunker down. Hunker down, read a book there you by go. the fire. Yeah, yeah, and you've deserved it at that point. Feels like it. Yeah. yeah, but here we are talking about winter farming. So, who knows? I know. I was just thinking that. I was like, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Um, I have to say, earlier you were chopping and dropping mm-hmm. and putting the the fresh green over the ground cover. And there was all the stinging nettles and stuff. And I told you, I was like, I don't know if that was a stinging nettle or an ant. Did you figure it out now? It's definitely a stinging nettle. nettle? So, yeah. yeah, But you said... They can find your ankles, can't they? Isn't it crazy? Well, this is on the back of my thigh because I bent down. Yeah, through the pants. I squatted down to take a shot. And then I was like, oh, my my thigh's on fire. So... Talk to me a little bit about some of the the qualities of the stinging nettles and stuff that are good for us, but then also good for the garden. It is um, an accumulator of iron, and I'm not a very academic person, but 
we learn that plants, there's the macronutrients and then the micronutrients. And so the macronutrients are somewhat easier to come by. The micronutrients, they don't need as much, but they're harder to come by. And so that's why growing the crops, the chop and drop crops that we do, like the comfrey is accumulating these different things and then you can make it available to the plant. The nettle, um, like I said, it has iron, high silica content as well, um, but it also has the calcium, um, a sulfur content. Um, but we're growing it in there. I, personally, I, our reason for having it as a companion plant is the idea that it is helping to stimulate essential oil development in the cannabis. I love that. Yeah. So the formic acid, the part that stings you, whatever's happening underground with the roots, how they're talking to each other, how the formic acid is there present in the plant, uh, and then chopping it and leaving it on top, even just the fact that it's growing alongside it is hopefully having that kind of uh, effect. See, I love that. And that's a hot tip for a backyard gardener. For sure, right. Like if you want to like up the terps in your flower, having, you know, comfrey and stinging nettles or stinging nettles is for the terps you said and then the comfrey um what does that do it's accumulating trace minerals it's it's kind of mining it has very deep roots you'll never get all the roots out of there it'll be there forever but it's going down deep and it's pulling things up and making them available putting them into the leaf and then taking the leaf and putting it back on top of the soil is becoming readily available to it's a vehicle of minerals yes okay yeah i love that what are some of your other favorite companion plants yarrow lemon balm is another one that's producing a lot of essential oil so you know we kind of whether or not statistically whatever is happening is true it seems like these oil producing plants like being near each other so lemon balm is another one calendula the, the yarrow the calendula um, are attracting beneficial insects as well. And some of those are going to be predatory. So then they'll find the cannabis plant and hopefully help with whatever arrival has landed there. What else do we have in there? I've got chives growing. Um, we throw potatoes in there too. Do the potatoes just aerate the soil? What is their role? Um, they kind of, they're ones that we put in there and then we don't really harvest them. And so they're providing some carbohydrates and food for the soil biology. And as they then are in the ground afterwards, different insects and things will come and eat that. And just that population growth seems like it would be one that would then spill over. And once the potato's gone, they'll be eating whatever other pests and larval larval stages in the soil. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting... Forgetting some of the nettle, the comfrey, calendula, lemon balm, chives, sweet alyssum is one that we plant every year. It's a, it's a annual. The ones I've mentioned, the calendula is an annual as well. The, all the others are perennial. What is alyssum? Sweet alyssum is a, a, a small kind of creeping white flower um, that is... Its root systems are supposed to be conducive to beneficial nematodes, um, but then they also attract a lot of pollinators. Um, And then in between our cannabis beds, we have two vegetable beds. And how those get decided on being planting is mostly you don't want vining plants because then they're going to travel into the cannabis and up into them. So low plants that are kind of quick succession is a good one, but we are looking to maybe use those beds as herb 
and flower beds as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this morning when Blair was taking the broccoli just to the left of that, like just this beautiful scent of cilantro mm-hmm. on the other side of it. So yeah. And, and when they flower, they attract a huge, oh, I'm sorry, borage is another one in the cannabis bed. Borage is a great one. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the cilantro flowers, the diversity of pollinators that you see on that is incredible. Yeah, it's fun to be walking through and just seeing all these beautiful butterflies and stuff going mm-hmm. through the garden. Yeah. That's when you know that nobody's using any poison right. out there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of the farmers around here are part of cooperatives and collaborating and, and putting flour in jars. So where can people find yours? Find our jars? Oh, well, yeah. Or, or like, are you part of any of these co-ops of like... Farm Cut or Brother oh, David's or something like well, that. We're part of the Weed Like Change campaign that Sun that. and Earth is has put forth. Um, and so that would be where I would direct them, I guess. Okay. Um, so is your does Brother David's jar? We have not had any of our flower in Brother David's as okay. of yet. Because I know that those, you know, organizations are all kind of tied together. Right. But so like the Weed Like Change campaign has, I don't can't speak to it totally as to how it's all taken place, but I know they have been speaking with different dispensaries to support that campaign, mm-hmm. um, trying to promote sun-grown regenerative farming practices, yes. recognizing that the way we treat the land can heal or hurt. And Dr. Bronner's has been doing this for generations, you know, mm-hmm. doing things the right way. Um, so there are a number of dispensaries, I believe, that have taken on some the Weed Like Change campaign and the farms that are a part of it so ha- by having shelf space in their dispensaries. Excellent. And I did have um, in one of my recent newsletters kind of focused on the Weed Like Change campaign and mm. just trying to get people to participate and learn more about it, you know, donate money to the cause, however however they can. But, you know, a lot of us, we like to support the cause by buying the flower. Right on. So yeah. what, are, what dispensaries can people find you in? Well, Cornerstone... In L.A., L.A. PCG, also in L.A., Sespe Creek. Is that original Sespe? That's in Ojai. Okay, I'm like, I'm not familiar with that, but that would be why. Let's see, we're in Doobie Nights in Santa Rosa, Urban Market in Arcata. Hmm. There's more. On Instagram, we're at Radical Herbs. Now, this is R-A-D-I-C-L-E, Herbs. Our name comes from the idea that the first root that germinates from any seed is the radical. So we growing from seed here, for the most part, we do grow clones, but our inspiration and our start was from seed. And we always um, make sure to work with seeds and pollinate. That's our Instagram handle, R-A-D-I-C-L-E Herbs. And I believe our website is radicalherbs.com. We're at Folklife Farm on Facebook, but that's those are the, the main ways okay. that we can be found for sure. All right. Now, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important for people to know? Or Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sure five minutes after this is over, I'll have some epiphany of something like, oh, I didn't talk about this in the moment. It's hard to always bring those things up. Um, no, you did a really good job, like asking really good questions. Like, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I felt very comfortable just talking. Here I am just sharing and talking, so that feels good. All right. I appreciate yeah, hopefully, that. Hopefully... 
Now, I do want people to go to, I think it's tendingthegarden.com. For sure. I would, yeah, definitely encourage people to support, to, to look into that and see and, and view that. What Jesse and Claire are putting together is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so. Because I, I will have on my YouTube channel, you'll be able to see a short video with Blair going through the veggies and then Daniel going through the cannabis. But I am not a videographer like Claire. <laughs> so Claire does a better job. So everyone should go see her documentary. But before we can see it, we've got to make sure it gets produced and gets out there. Mm-hmm. So, yes, support Tending the Garden and, yep. and check out Radical Herbs on social media. And, yes, support your local farmers. Yeah, I would say, so to that end, I would encourage people to resist the corporatization of their lives. This movement, the cannabis movement, was won by people. It's always been. We don't need the help of the suits, the suit and tie crowd. They're not here for your best interest. And it's not just in cannabis. It's in all of our life. I'd like to maybe point out that when we talk about regenerative agriculture, I don't want to be cliche, but I think that that spills over into our everyday life. I think regenerative agriculture, regeneration means being able to change your mind being able to think about something differently that you thought you already had your mind made up on. Like, I feel this way about this thing. Maybe challenge yourself to think, maybe there's other ways to think about that. And then we'll all get along more. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance is real. Yeah. And, you know, I've, over the last couple of years, there have been some, like, deep-seated beliefs of mine that have been blown the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good to be like, whoa, what I thought was truth is not truth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, coming to terms with a lot of these things, it's not easy. It's not going to necessarily feel good. But mm-hmm. when you're on the other side of it and you're willing to change your mind mm-hmm. and have this different perspective, it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so taking these things to heart and and like you were saying before, try to grow some of your own food, that kind of thing, like it's going to take a lot of those movements, a lot of small things making big changes. Yeah. And if you look up and you live in a food desert, you better make sure you find yourself a farmer to be friends with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Get to know a local beekeeper. Like you find those people. And if you don't have people like that in your community, then perhaps it should be you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I cool. love this. Thank cool. you so much for yeah, your time. Thank you, Joe. You have such this a beautiful family, and oh my I appreciate gosh. y'all's hospitality. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you. If you're inspired to nurture a deeper connection with the land and your own community, I hope you'll share this podcast with your smoke circle. And if you want to learn more about biodynamic farming, some of Radical Herb's favorite garden companion plants, the feature documentary, Tending the Garden, and where aware to find Radical Herb's sun-grown flower in California, I've always got you covered. Head over to the podcast 229 show notes at casuallybaked.com. While you're there, I invite you to explore the Casually Baked podcast affiliates. If you're listening on your phone, scroll down in the podcast app you're using to see the episode notes where you'll find links to offers from casually baked partner brands like Slow Dirt. And if you or your business want to connect or collaborate with me, 
Email your messages, requests, or can of curious questions through the website or DM me on social. When I'm there, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, The Weed Tube, and Truth Social. However you decide to support our highly responsible cannabis movement, thank you for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. This is a high time. We had a high time together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.